Hi there. Good morning. Guten Morgen. Listening to Legal AF. They don't want you to hear this because they keep shutting off my podcast. Like, you know, like a unicorn is going to show up in my backyard and crap gold bricks. It's sort of Donald Trump's theory about how he's going to be president of the United States. You know, when he says at a rally, well, I hope I get indicted again. One more indictment, this thing will be over. It'll be over <laughs> in the Republican primary. But, but he's not generating any new independent or women voters every time he gets a, 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 a judge to be a rapist, sex, I'm sorry, sexual, a sexual abuser, or he is, is convicted of very serious conspiracies against our democracy. Okay, he'll get his 37 percent. I'll give another five. He'll get his 43 percent. But you can't win the presidency that way. And all of this stuff, and, uh, and I'll leave this rant on this, that the, that the mainstream media, which, you know, to a certain degree in the investigative report I think area, the Democrats, does do well, and you and I do. I think do. the Democrats, Look. just a why don't turn on the mic, though. Right, well, I'm pretty sure the Democrats are not... Uh, Pressing too hard to just disqualify him outright because he's gonna take he's gonna be sucking all the energy of the Republican Party by being in the race. If he's in the race, he's gonna be a you know nobody's going to be able to fill that spot because he's going to fight tooth and nail to attack everyone that might pose a threat to his presidency, his return to the presidency. And so the Demo I think the Democrats are just not doing anything about it because uh, they want they want this, you know, vacuum. When when he finally gets disqualified <clears throat> and thrown and thrown into fucking prison for the rest of his life. Then the Republican cunts will have to find a plan B. Unless they're the whole party suspended, which is what I what I'm working towards. Suspend the party and throw in prison all the fucking insurrectionists. That's uh, those are my and, and disqualify. Disqualify, that's like Number one, and the Electoral College before 2024, abolish that. The stuff that they do add on our own analysis and report when we can. But when they when they run stories like, well, there's been two other presidential candidates in history that have run from federal prisons. And they start talking about Eugene Krebs. And I'm like, are you effing kidding me? Don't put that out there. That's not real reporting. Yes, under our Constitution, even a convicted felon can be the President of the United States. That's a little quirk of our Constitution. We should fix that, by the way. Um, however, that doesn't mean that at the end of the day, the American people, who I put tremendous amount of trust in as an, an entire election body, just like I do the jury system, is going to vote for the man. Well, let's now talk about what... Donald Trump's lawyers have been saying what they've been previewing uh, is their defense. I mean, from the just kind of absolutely absurd and comical 
and frankly incriminating stuff against Donald Trump, like uh, Alina Haba, I mean, she was outside of the arraignment talking about Hunter Biden, and uh, she also said everybody knew that he lost the election. Everybody, everybody knew it. So you have Alina Haba, which is, at this point, so deranged that it probably doesn't even, it doesn't even, it's not worthy of a serious legal critique of what she has to say. John Lauro, it's borderline. I'll, I'll give it a serious legal critique because, um, but I, I think he's a very unserious, he's presented himself as a very unserious person. So here are the kind of main things that they've been messaging. In terms of the defenses that they're going to rely on the Trump legal defense team, you know, I guess led in part by this new lawyer, John Lauro, advice of counsel, which is that Donald Trump relied on John Eastman and Giuliani and other lawyers who told him that this was not a crime. Put a pin in that one for a moment. The other one I talked about is Donald Trump saying he has a free speech right to overthrow our democracy. And the other two kind of ancillary issues they've been messaging is this indictment is a great thing because now we get to conduct discovery and prove the 2020 election was actually stolen. Now we get to go and send, in, you know, and send subpoenas to uh, Brad Raffensperger and prove that he's wrong. You know, that's not going to happen. <laughs> All of these things have been debunked, and of course, the data that Special Counsel Jack Smith's going to turn over is Trump. Here's the research teams that you paid. Your political action arms paid these two research teams each close to one million dollars each. They told you there was no fraud. How about you subpoena your own people? How about you look at your own yeah. data? So that's the one. The other thing we're going to get great discovery. What about no, you're that? not. It's just going to get more incriminating from here on out. And the other thing they talk about is we're going to try to move this case to West Virginia. We're going to transfer it out of D.C. Absolutely zero chance of Judge Tanya Chutkin granting a venue change motion. Um, the Sixth Amendment of the United States Constitution specifically says that the cases are to be tried where the crimes take place. That's, for example, why Special Counsel Jack Smith had to file the case of Donald Trump's willful retention of national defense information in the Southern District of Florida. Only in the most extreme of cases where you know, someone can't get a fair trial, like in a situation where the prosecutor gives a press conference and says, we are targeting this person, like only in that situation, which has not occurred here, would there be a transfer granted. Numerous January 6th insurrectionists, all the way up to one of Donald Trump's co-conspirator terrorists, Stuart Rhodes of the Oath Keepers, he sought to have a venue change before Judge Amit Mehta, citing the exact same things Donald Trump's going to say, oh, it's a Democratic area, Washington, D.C. votes Democrat, but because the insurrection happened in D.C., he can't get a fair trial. All courts say the voir dire process, the jury selection process, cures any of those issues. Um, and then even the Trump-appointed judge, Judge Carl Nichols, had been presented in the past with venue change motions, and he has uh, rejected those venue change motions with January 6th insurrectionists. And Judge Carl Nichols has made some unfavorable rulings from a law and order perspective in favor of January 6th insurrectionists, but even he didn't transfer the case. So zero chance the case is going to be transferred. When you talk about an advice of counsel defense, Donald Trump would have to take the stand for an advice of counsel defense. He'd have to waive his Fifth Amendment rights because he could, the lawyers for Trump couldn't say, this person will confirm that Donald Trump was taking the advice of his lawyers. This person will say that. That's hearsay. 
So to get around here, it's inadmissible hearsay. So Donald Trump would have to take the stand, and he'd have to say, here is the advice that I took from the lawyers, and here's why I was misled by the lawyers, or here's what John Eastman told me. And then Trump would open it up for all cross-examination across all issues. He's not going to take the stand. He is a very, very scared person. We'll talk more about that in a bit, just how scared he is. Backtracking after making this threat, and Special Counsel Jack Smith called him out. So advice of counsel, just that's not going to work. Trump would have to take the stand there. Uh, and then we talked earlier in the episode that it's not a free speech issue to engage in a conspiracy to overthrow our democracy. And we gave you earlier in this episode very specific, concrete examples. But again, go to MidasTouch.com to read the full indictment because, again, we can spend hours talking about it here. But there's very specific, concrete examples of how Donald Trump did this on purpose. He knew what he was doing, trying to change votes from Biden to Trump, trying to change electoral votes um, from Biden to Trump. And that's illegal. You, you can't do that. And as special counsel Jackson says, look, Trump, if you want to say you won and if that makes you feel good and you want to lie to the people, that's upsetting that you would say that. It's, it's, it should be disqualifying, but you don't, you don't, that's not the crime. The crime is where you weaponize that and then affirmatively um, affirmatively take action um, right there as well. Um, you know, and, 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 and then we're going to cover this in a little bit as well, but there's been a lot of violence taking place earlier, you know, in the day, Popak, as well. Like, Trump's lawyers are already moving to delay to having to respond to the government's motion for a protective order um, until uh, the 10th of August. Um, they're asking to set the matter for oral argument, trying to get further delight. So uh, we'll talk about that in a bit, but I, I wanted to hit upon the defenses and then kind of, I guess, the Trump uh, strategy. Um, uh, what, what do you think about what they're going to be, what they're, they've been saying? Well, let's, yeah, let me, let me unpack a couple of things. And let me, give it, let me give an example of the difference between speech that's protected that Jack Smith preempts and references as an attack on his indictment and conduct that isn't. Uh, you and I, Ben, and others in our audience, can stand in front of our local bank, and we can tell anybody that walks by that cares to listen that all the money in that bank belongs to me. Some, some cockamamie story about my grandfather founded the bank, and all the bank, all the gold that's in, this, that's in all of the safety deposit boxes <laughs> Minus is mine. It's all uh, mine. You're allowed to do that. Trump indictment 3.0, exclamation But you can do that. What you can't do is get together with your buddies in the Trump middle of the night thought. and put on ski masks and break into the bank and actually take the money. That's the difference between protective First Amendment speech and criminal conduct that will only get you jail time. That's the difference between what Donald Trump. It's one thing to say, I think I won the election. I don't think I knew that woman that I sexually abused in the, uh, in the uh, dressing room at Bergdorf Goodman, E.G. and Carol. It's another thing to do things in conduct that are at variance with the law or Criminal intent or established. Um, Trump and that's is what fuck. Donald ha, Trump ha, is being ha. accused of. And that is a difference. A difference that sounds complicated, I guess, when you're trying to create um, interference and you're trying to mislead people in your talking points, but is really, really clear and easily shown to a jury of, of nine or 12 sitting in the box in Washington, D.C., or in front of a judge like Judge Tanya Chutkin. Alina Hava outside. I don't know why anybody gave that airtime, but let's just really say one thing about it. She was reading from a palm card that the Trump campaign and the Trump 
the guy made on the way into the arraignment in which they listed on the left side all things related to Hunter Biden, trying to time it, and on the right side saying and suggesting that that led to either Attorney General Letitia James bringing her civil case or Fawnie Willis threatening her indictment or Jack Smith bringing his indictment and trying to make some causal link between the two that doesn't exist. We call that in the law and in logical reasoning post hoc ergo propter hoc, which means in Latin, after this, therefore because of this, which is a logical fallacy that just because something follows in time something that preceded it, the thing that preceded it must have caused the thing. The most perfect example of that, the easiest example, the perfect one to talk about it, is in uh, there is there is statistics that murder rates and ice cream sales go up in the summer. That is true. More people are murdered in the summer, and ice cream sales also go up. They are not related. Ice cream sales is not causing murder rates to rise, just like anything related to Hunter Biden, whatever it is, has nothing to do with the independent prosecutorial decisions by the people that I just listed um, to make their decision to indict under their ethical requirements to, to only indict when they have the evidence and the facts to support it. So let's just forget the clown show that was Alina Haba. She doesn't belong in a courtroom, and frankly, she made that decision herself. She decided to be on the street with the rest of the circus that was in front of the courtroom. Inside the courtroom, you had Boris Epstein in the back, right? So he's doing his thing, trying to concoct some sort of legal defenses. And unfortunately for Donald Trump, he's decided that, that John Lauro, not Todd Blanche, who's the smarter of the two, in my estimation, is the one that he should put front and center on television. And John Lauro, who's looking for his 15 minutes of fame or to extend it, is, is a willing participant in it. So when John Lauro goes on Fox News and talks about Plan D, which is Plan Delay, apparently, period, looks great with suit and tie. He's like this week's uh, Joe Tacopina. Um, and you know how well that went for, for him in all things related to the New York indictment and Eugene Carroll. And he said on Fox News, he took a lot of heat for it unintentionally, he said, no, no, yes, Donald Trump wanted to delay the certification of the election because he wanted to give the state legislators more time to just do one more quick pass to make sure everything was on the up and up with the electorate. To pass. which federal pro former federal prosecutors in their united, Alan Weissman, the former federal prosecutor, said, that's an admission of a crime. That's not a defense. And uh, <laughs> Joyce Vance, a former federal prosecutor, said, that sounds like a coup. In other words, he admitted to the heart of the conspiracy that is at the heart of the you know, three conspiracies that are at the heart of the indictment. That's not a good place to be. And then he doubled down on it and made it worse because he went on yeah. television to correct the record because he said he was unfairly attacked by pundits for what he said. He said, all I said is what Donald Trump said, or John Eastman wrote in his memo, right? John Eastman is a co-conspirator, Mr. Loro, in the indictment for coming up with these facata ideas of constitutional law and how you could pressure Mike Pence and throw over the election. So don't re you're referring to the memo and the things that Donald Trump said on the ellipse and to which we all say, exactly, you are once again confirming and only supporting 
the indictment, you're not providing defenses. I agree with you. We see where they're going. They've been doing this drumbeat. It started with Stephen Chung, the spokesperson for Donald Trump, three weeks ago. Multiple lawyers have promoted this idea, and Donald Trump was just following multiple lawyers. That's not the way the indictment is written. Donald Trump surrounded himself with people that would tell him what he wanted to hear, and he was the ringmaster. He was the puppet master of these, uh, what uh, Mike Pence so properly labeled, crackpot lawyers, Giuliani, Sidney Powell, um, Jetta Ellis, John Eastman, Ken Cheeseborough, whereas he had legitimate adults around the table that were appointed to cabinet positions or otherwise, like his acting attorney general, Jeff Rosen, his acting deputy attorney general, Richard Donahue, his White House counsel, Pat, Phil, uh, Pat Cipollone, his, his deputy, Pat Philbin, all the people that were paid and took a constitutional oath told him the exact opposite, that he surrounded himself with crackpots that would sell him anything and tell him anything is not a defense. And Ben, you're so right. How do you get to that defense if you don't take the stand? And I know he's He's telling his followers and listeners, I can't wait to testify. He will never testify in any of these cases. They'll come up with some excuse. He'll fly to Scotland to open up another golf course and say, I wish I could have been there, but it was a very important ribbon cutting I had to do. I'll see you at the next one. He's never going to testify. Steve, ba Steve Bannon tried this, this type of reliance on defensive counsel approach didn't work because the elements of his crime of obstructing justice or obstructing Congress, the judge at the time, which we've talked about, said, I don't, Judge Nicholson, I don't really see that as an element, but he would have had to testify, as you pointed out, Ben, in order to take advantage of that defense. This is all to try to keep his candidacy afloat, to continue to bring in more money to pay for the attorneys, because this attorney bill for him in all these actions and all the witnesses that he's got to pay off and pay out is going to be a hundred million dollars for the end of the year. He's got to continue to grip. All he's told his people, like John Laura, is keep me in the game, keep me in the campaign, keep me in the ability to raise money. Maybe there's a shot in hell that I'll be reelected and I, I'll be elected and I will uh, pardon everybody. Doesn't help him in Georgia. We'll talk about Georgia next. But that's, that's all he's got left. This is a riverboat gambler with nothing to lose, and he's just going to continue to do But we should not misinterpret that on this show or any place else in the Midas Dutch Network where we don't. No one who watches us should misinterpret the things that Donald Trump says, the things that his lawyers or his shills say, as being legitimate, merit-based defenses that get him off of being convicted. They are that's, not. That's why we go through it in a very detailed way. And we go, look, here's what they're saying. Here's why it's not going to work, because here is actually what the law is. And, you know, there's the old expression, right, that if, you, if the law is against you, you know, argue the facts. And if the facts are against you, I guess if the law and the facts are against you and you're Donald Trump, you know, it's kind of what the MAGA Republicans do every day, which is what he's kind of led, is threaten people threaten people. Um, I want to show you, this is a post that Donald Trump uh, made on, on Friday. It says, uh, if you go after me, I'm coming after you. You go after me, I'm coming after you. Uh, which is a clear threat. There's no other way to interpret that as a clear and present threat. Um, and 
Later, Friday evening, Special Counsel Jack Smith filed a motion for a protective order, informed the judge of that threat about why it's so critical that a protective order in this matter be entered immediately. And in the court's filing, in the filing of rather the Special Jack, Counsel Jack Smith made with the court, he explained on page three that the government's proposed order, it's consistent with others that are commonly used, it allows Donald Trump to have prompt and effective use of discovery materials in connection with his defense. All the proposed order seeks to prevent is the improper dissemination or use of discovery materials, including to the public. Such a restriction is particularly important in this case because the defendant, Donald Trump, has previously issued public statements on social media regarding witnesses, judges, attorneys, and others associated with legal matters pending against him. And in recent days regarding this case, the defendant has issued multiple posts, either specifically or by implication, including the following, which the defendant posted just hours ago. And here, Special Counsel Jack Smith is showing the judge very specifically what Donald Trump uh, said, which, you know, I, I believe to be a violation of what magistrate, uh, what the magistrate judge said during the arraignment, you're not to issue any threats and not and specifically ask Donald Trump. You understand that, Mr. Trump, again, not referring to him by any other title, you understand that, Mr. Trump, he stated yes. The way I view what Special Counsel Jack Smith filing that immediately is doing is basically saying, that's your warning strike right there, and we're going to inform Judge Chutkin, but you know, you may be saying, well, should we put a gag order on him? Should we throw him behind bars right away? I mean, I'd love all of those, but remember, the more he talks, the more he incriminates himself, number one. And number two, I think what Special Counsel Jack Smith wants to balance here is, yes, these threats are dangerous, but I think Jack Smith knows what a coward Donald Trump is. Like, he knows that he's dealing with a petulant third grade kind of fascist bully but he's dealing with like just an amateur. And special counsel Jack Smith wants this trial date. He doesn't want to do anything at all, including even if that means temporarily remanding Donald Trump into custody for a short period of time, that could make this case go on a year excursion into right. briefing about that. Jack Smith laser focused, I want a trial date because I want to send this guy to jail for the rest of his life. Let's focus on what that outcome yeah. is. Get him in jail for the rest of his life for his serious, serious what, crimes. What, what's wrong with starting? Trump being a traitor against Donald Trump. some pretrial incarceration. Within a very short period of time, there's been a lot of action, Obak, on the docket, right? So say? you have Trump makes that post. Special counsel Jack Smith then files the motion um, for a protective order. And then immediately we last have a night, fucking Donald Trump's spokesperson order. then issues a statement. Just, the, for a short, like the ones finding for a short period of time, that could make this case go on a year excursion into briefing about that. Jack into Smith, laser focus. I want a trial date, including even if that means temporarily remanding Donald Trump into custody for a short. Him. Should we throw him behind bars right away? I mean, I'd love all of those, but remember, the more he talks, the more he incriminates himself, number one. And number two, I think what Special Counsel Jack Smith wants to balance here is, yes, 
these threats are dangerous. But I think Jack Smith knows what a coward Donald Trump is. Like, he knows that he's dealing with a petulant third grade kind of fascist bully, but he's dealing with, like, just an amateur. And Special Counsel Jack Smith wants this trial. He doesn't want to do anything at all, including even if that means temporarily remanding Donald Trump into custody for a short period of time. That could short period make of time. this case Why not go a long on period of time? a year excursion into briefing about that. Jack Smith, laser focused, I want a trial date because I want to send this guy to jail for the rest. Life. Go to jail. Let's focus on pre-trial. Get him in jail for the rest of his life. Him, should we throw him behind bars right away? I mean, I'd love all of those, but remember the more he talks, the more he incriminates himself. Number one, and number one issues a statement just showing what a coward they are, saying, the post cited is the definition of political speech and was in response to the rhino dishonest special... Come on, Justice Department, let's get this party started. Put Trump in jail pre-trial. Pronto. No I mean, traditionally Republican groups, Trump saying that's who he was threatening. Managed to federal. We've had federal judges and their families assassinated in this country. We've had federal prosecutors and state prosecutors and state judges killed in this country by by the crazed followers of people like Donald Trump. All right, we saw what happened when he said it'll be wild on Jan 6, and it was. We had an insurrection. And there's a reason that Jack Smith, yes, he's going to do his job, he's going to cut his wood, he's going to eat his Subway sandwiches, and he's going to put this guy in a federal penitentiary for a long, long time. But he's got to protect his people from other people being triggered by things like, you come after me, I come after you. Then some guy go, goes, goes and picks up a weapon and shows up at Jack Smith's house. No, absolutely. And then after Trump issued that statement earlier on Saturday, a minute order was issued on the weekend by Judge Tanya Chutkin, just showing how she wants this case expedited. It is hereby ordered that by 5 p.m. on August 7, 2023, defendant shall file a response to the government's motion for a protective order stating defendant's position on the motion. If defendant disagrees with any portion of the government's proposed protective order, his response shall include a revised version of that protective order with any modifications in the red line and then within hours after that earlier this morning trump filed a motion to revise the briefing schedule and set oral argument this is called trump arrested indicted arraigned and losing his minds legal af
argument regarding the government's motion for a protective order. And they're asking an additional three days for their response by August 10th of 2023. They want to respond and have an oral argument on the briefing schedule, already seeing that they want to kind of seek a delay from what Judge Tanya Chutkin did. But, you know, and what this motion that was just filed by Donald Trump's lawyers are saying is, look, we were meeting and conferring about a schedule. And, you know, we were talking about the protective order. And then all of a sudden the government just filed this thing out of nowhere, you know, and obviously not addressing the fact that, yeah, the government filed it because Donald Trump just issued a threat. And they're saying, if you go after me, I'm coming after you. So it wasn't exactly a good faith meet and confer process where your client is now engaged in criminal threats. And so that's kind of the status right now where we're at. We'll see what Judge Tanya Chutkin does with that motion as well. But that's basically the status. Popak, I think that brings us current. I don't think she changed it. It does. But just to round it up, this ain't Eileen Cannon. I don't think Judge Chutkin is going to give him from Monday to Thursday. I don't think she's going to give them oral argument. I think she's going to make a ruling. She gave a very, this is her opportunity, I think, to put them in their place. Because if you give them a finger, they'll take a republic. And I have to think in the back of her mind, she's thinking, if they're going to keep trying to nickel and dime me on, I said Monday as a federal judge. I've been doing this for 32 years in front of federal judges. I have never not complied, no matter how short of a turnaround time I thought the order was, the order for me to do something, I never asked for more time. And then asked, maybe oral argument. I've occasionally asked for oral argument. But to say, no, Monday doesn't work for us, Judge. Hold on. Let me check my calendar. How about Thursday? Thursday's good for me. What about you? I think she cuts the legs out from under him and says, I don't know, what part of my minute order did you follow? Monday, if you've got a problem, give me a red line, and then I'll make the decision on the protective order. I'm not sure I need a hearing. We'll see. It'll be very interesting. I think the next move, obviously, is the woman in the black robe. And I think she's going to say, I'm the judge. You're not. This is what we're doing. Now let's turn to Fulton County, Georgia, if you will. I think we've rounded out our coverage on all things arrest, indictment, arraignment, the judges. And now our attention only turns slightly because, you know, we could, we're going to cover everything at the same time. But, you know, our attention turns to Georgia, specifically Fulton County. You've had the grand jury now impaneled for a few weeks. They've been presented with evidence. We've seen barricades going up around the courthouse. We've heard from the Fulton County Sheriff that he's ready for an indictment. And, you know, he's also stated, the sheriff's stated that Donald Trump is not only just going to be booked, he's going to be fingerprinted. There will be a mugshot taken. And the sheriff made, Pat Labatt made also comments, you know, look, we don't appreciate keyboard warriors threatening law enforcement here in Fulton County, Georgia. He made a statement to that effect. Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis, she stated that she's ready to go. She's in an interview. She didn't, you know, provide any more specifics other than that she's prepared and will have made a decision prior to September 1st. But 
Pobach, this could happen this week, it could happen next week. Uh, but I'll just say this before tossing it to you. You go back and look at the Midas Touch Network, and specifically our legal AF shows, I would say maybe within about a few days, or in some instances a one-week difference, I think we've accurately called when all of these things were going to happen with a great degree of confidence that they would happen. You and I both put our, we knew when we did this, we were putting our professional reputations on the line because if we were wrong, a lot of people were going to say, hey, you, you guys have just been selling us hopium for the past whatever. Um, and, you know, what we were just saying is, here's what the data is. We're not trying to push some narratives because they're exciting or interesting. You know, the same way that if there was truly damaging evidence on President Biden, if 17 audio recordings were real, if the whistleblowers were real, if there was actual data, I would not be here saying, you know, this is a deep state House of Representative Jim Jordan conspiracy. I would say that's that's a bad piece of evidence. That's a bad piece of data. But when you listen to Jim Comer or James Comer and Jim Jordan, and they're interviewed and they're saying, hey, do you have any evidence on President Biden? And they go, well, I hope so. Uh, there's a lot of smoke. Yeah, that's that's not what our system is. We're on an evidence fact based system. And if you're watching Legal AF, you're here because we care about facts and data. But Popak, you think we're going to see this indictment this week? You think we're going to see it next week? I mean, look, we're going to see it in the next two or three weeks. That's yeah. for sure. Um, but it could happen at any moment now. Huh? Yeah. And, uh, and to continue with one of your themes there, um, about smoke on this network and on this show uh we don't start the fire we're like the arsonist reconstruction arson reconstructionists forensic examiners who come in after and try to explain to you what the accelerant was how this fire was started what lit the fuse but we don't create the stories we don't, we're not creating it in order to get ratings. You and I didn't sh found the show based on, hey, let's, let's pump up some crazy stories and see if they'll stick. I mean, aren't you, we are practicing lawyers. I do have a professional reputation. You do, too, that I want to be as accurate and precise as I possibly can. Are we always right? No, because we're not in control of the case. We're reporting on it. We're not inside the beehive. We're reporting on it from outside with our best analysis based on years of experience but as i joke on on my social media we're legal af we're almost never wrong podcast because we are almost never wrong and that comes from hard work and from experience and from gut and from and from years of doing what we're watching others do and being able to report on it in a fair way without blowing smoke or sunshine now having said that there is there is one other development oh let me answer your question then i'll give you the, the last development in fulton county that's important um she's got uh, fawny willis fulton county da has now three full weeks of an indicting grand jury that she's been presenting evidence to which stands on the shoulders of year uh, a year and a half investigation and seven months of a special purpose grand jury which was her 
um, investigatory assisting grand jury, not her indicting grand jury, to develop 75 witnesses testimony and all that evidence. So that's why things are going to go more rapidly, even though there was a gap between March and the time she started her actual regular indictment process. Once she's in there, she's she's done. As she said in an in a interview to a local uh, news channel while she was handing out school supplies and backpacks at a discount for, for, for returning children, she said, I'm ready. We're done. The work is done. We're ready to go. I owe it to the people of Fulton County. I owe it to the people of America. These are hard decisions. People aren't going to be happy about them, meaning Trumpers. Um, and, and the others on the other side of the aisle. And that's why we saw video feed of barricades being put up in Fulton County. Um, I think it's either it's, it's either this week or later next week, and then it'll be unsealed sometime in early September. And she's got the rest of the Fulton County administrative and the sheriff uh, uh, batty and all that ready because she's told people work from home the whole end of August, beginning of September. She's told and asked that the administrators of all the other office buildings that are governmental down there because the state house sits across from the DA's office which sits across from the courthouse in a triangle in Fulton County in Atlanta I know because I go in that area quite uh, quite regularly and so that could be a ground zero and she's worried about that powder keg and so she's trying to de-escalate it by having less people there they were putting up, I imagine, barriers while you and I and Michael Cohen were doing the arraignment live coverage on the Midas Touch Network. We went to a live feed of them doing that because I guess she was also fearful that maybe this would be an area where they would attack um, his supporters, Trump supporters, uh, to pay back for what was happening in Washington, D.C., and she wanted to be ready. I happen to be leaving tomorrow morning to go to Atlanta, where I will be for the next three days, and I have promised Midas Touch, others, you, that if something happens, like an indictment, I will hightail it down there, and I will do some sort of live reporting from at least the outside of the courtroom of the courthouse about that indictment. I think it's late next week, early the following week, but spoiler alert, it is coming. He will be indicted. And I think that indictment will be a much broader, more sprawling indictment with multiple people, because I think under Georgia law, she really has one shot at this. She's going to get it right. One last bit of reporting, Ben. We had a uh, recent development. We know earlier in the week, Judge McBurney, um, at the end of July, denied, denied, denied the three things that Donald Trump was looking for. He was looking to have... Fawny Willis disqualified for the second time, and Judge McBurney said, no way. I don't see any misconduct on her behalf. Um, she's just doing what any elected prosecutor would do, and so that's out. I want he Donald Trump wanted to have the special purpose grand jury's body of work for seven months thrown out to make her start all over again at the grand jury level, and, and uh, McBurney said, you don't even have standing to be making that argument because you're not even indicted yet. Maybe one day, or as Judge McBurney so eloquently put it, perhaps you'll be indicted, perhaps, perhaps, but not today. And just as you made a mistake and you got slapped back, and so did Judge Cannon in having, trying to interfere in the federal criminal prosecution after Mar-a-Lago search warrant was executed last August, hard to believe it was a year ago, you're not allowed, you don't have standing to interfere with a criminal indictment, pre-indictment. You're not indicted yet. Come back. When, when and if you are indicted, Mr. Trump, 
you may bring up all of these issues about you don't like the prosecutor, you don't like the color of my tie, you think that the special purpose grand jury's work is unconstitutional and shouldn't be used. You can do all of that in front of a judge. It won't be me. In front of a judge randomly assigned in federal court or state court to this case. And you can take it up then, take it up with those people. So based on that ruling, which the Trump people have been waiting for since March, but came out just July the 31st, Trump dismissed a second petition that he had filed in Fulton County, trying to, once again, for the third time, disqualify Pawnee Willis, disqualify McBurney, who already ruled, and to get rid of the special purpose grand jury body of work. That petition which is identical to what McBurney basically just ruled upon, except it didn't include him, McBurney, being disqualified at all, was reassigned to another county, another circuit court in Georgia by the chief judge of uh, Fulton County because he didn't want the situation where McBurney was going to be judged by other people, uh, his colleagues in Fulton County. So it was sent down to the uh, another judicial district, including, I think, Cobb County, to be ruled on it had already been assigned to a judge, but they hadn't do it, done anything yet. Seeing the writing on the wall, just uh, yesterday, Donald Trump's team voluntarily dismissed a petition telling the world that we'll take this up with the appellate court based on what McBurney just ruled. And there's two ways they can go now. I'll leave it on this. You, there's two levels of appeal in Georgia appellate courts. There's the Court of Appeals, which is where most of first-level appeals go. And then you get, if you can, you have the grounds, you can get up to the Georgia Supreme Court. There's nine on the Georgia Supreme Court. They're Republican-appointed, basically. And there's 15 on the Court of Appeals, and they hear the case three at three judges at a time. However... Because there's probably a constitutional attack on this based on uh, the equivalent of the Sixth Amendment rights, I assume that they're going to try a direct appeal to the Georgia Supreme Court again, having already lost there two weeks ago, 9-0, when they tried to get this, get rid of Phony Willis, get rid of McBurney, get rid of the special purpose grand jury body of work. So we'll have to follow that closely. But in the meantime, that is not going, there's no injunction, there's no attempt to stop anything. Fawny Willis is going to indict in the meantime. And the move by Trump to directly go around all the other courts and go directly to the Georgia Supreme Court a few weeks back, that backfired miserably because not only did the Georgia Supreme Court rule that procedurally the case should not have been filed there, but in the order, the Georgia Supreme Court also addressed the merits and stated that on the merits, Trump would lose as well. So if Trump were to bring these claims before them again in this posture, I think the Georgia Supreme Court has now established their frivolous Trump petition uh, precedent uh, where they would rule against uh, Donald Trump. I've seen so many new members here on our YouTube channel today, and that's so great to see. You know, we, we, we joke here at the Midas Touch Network that it's probably not the greatest business model we have here not to take outside investors. And so right now it's based on all of 
you know, the memberships and the Patreons. And so um, we appreciate all of the memberships on our YouTube channel. That allows the network to grow and expand and bring on more people. And uh, really thanks to, you know, everybody here, we've been able to build out MidasTouch.com, which is the new number one source of pro-democracy news. That's MidasTouch.com, M-E-I-D-A-S-T-O-U-C-H.com. Check MidasTouch.com every day. Make it your homepage. We've got some great writers there, and it is a complement to what we talk about here on the Midas Touch shows. For example, when we talk about the indictment, go search the Midas Touch website, MidasTouch.com, and read the indictment. Follow along with us as we go through these documents. That's MidasTouch.com. Thank you, everybody, for being a... There it is right there. Thanks, everyone, who's become a member, who's gifted other people memberships. We greatly appreciate Appreciate it. Check out store.midastouch.com. We've got the new legal AF gear, and it is incredible. Popak and Karen Friedman Agnifilo spent a lot of time designing <laughs> the new Legal AF gear. There you see it right there. Get your Legal AF gear right now at store.midastouch.com. 100% union made. 100% made in the USA. May, there it is right there. Look at that. That is some fly gear right there. Store.MidasTouch.com. Gear up now. Make sure you're subscribed on our YouTube channel. I think we'll hit 1.5 million subscribers by this month. And then we're going to be on our way to try to hit 2 million subscribers in 2023. That would be great indeed. And so spread the message. Spread the word um, about this show. You know, just let one person, two people, three people, five people, ten people know about this pro-democracy show. Let them know about the Legal AF community and let them know, um, you know, what it is that we do here. That, that's, that's one of the best ways you can help us out no matter what. And I just want to say it's such an honor to be here each and every weekend and each and every day with this incredible pro-democracy community, the Legal AFers, the Midas Mighty. Y'all are just the best. And I'm just so grateful to be a part of this with you. you know, I was always looking for a community of compassionate intelligent, like real patriots, people who, it's not just performative with the Constitution, it's like people whose conduct each and every day is to support and defend our Constitution um, and to support our democracy. And just thank you all, Legal AFers, for organically creating this community that Michael Popak, myself, and all of our contributors are a part of. Thank you so much. A historic week indeed, and it was an honor to spend this historic week with you. Nowhere else I and Michael Popak would rather be. We'll see you next time on Legal AF. Shout out to the Midas Mighty. today, you know, for a change. Neil Katyal is our guest, and he's going to talk about, you guessed it, the indictments against Donald Trump for trying to overturn the 2020 election. Trump seems guilty to me, but I'm not a lawyer. I played one in the sketch, as you know. But Neil is one of the great litigators in our nation. 
He has won more cases before the Supreme Court than any minority lawyer in the history of the country. Neil is of Indian uh, subcontinent, India heritage. And I've done some research because I'm Jewish and we are a minority. And so far, I have not found a Jew that's won more cases uh, before the court than Neil. I looked up Lawrence Tribe, who's won a lot, but as I remember, Neil has now lapped him. But before we get to Neil, I, I just want to voice uh, my deep concern about where we are right now as, as a country. Despite all these indictments, and there's obviously uh, new ones coming from Georgia soon, Trump enjoys the largest lead in any contested nomination race that I've ever seen. And 70% of Republicans who say they'll vote in, in the primaries believe that Trump won the election. Grubhub Plus members save more on the food they love with new cost-saving member benefits plus zero-dollar delivery fees on eligible. believe that Trump won the election. Thank you, Adam Schiff, for This is an unprecedented time. Barry Goldwater famously went over to the White House in 1973 and told Richard Nixon that if he were impeached by the House, that he and other Republican senators would vote to convict. So. Nixon resigned. After January 6th, the House impeached Trump. Only seven Republicans in the Senate voted for a conviction, along with all the Democrats, falling well short of the 67 needed. Immediately after that vote, Mitch McConnell, who voted for acquittal, spoke on the floor and said the following, and I'm not going to do my, my Mitch. This is the real audio. There's no question. None. That President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. No question about it. But then McConnell made some bogus argument about not being able to impeach and convict someone who had left office, which Trump had, because McConnell had delayed the impeachment trial until after January 20th. Now, if McConnell had held the impeachment in time and they'd voted to convict Trump, then Trump would no longer have been eligible to run for public office and we wouldn't be in the very dangerous situation we find ourselves today. Okay, so after Mitch explains why he didn't vote to convict, he says this. We have a criminal justice system in this country. We have civil litigation. And former presidents are not immune from being accountable by either one. Yep, we have a criminal justice system in this country. And yesterday, I'm, I'm taping this in my conversation with Neil on Friday afternoon, the day after Trump was arraigned. McConnell was right. We do have a criminal justice system in this country. And you will notice that McConnell has said absolutely nothing about these indictments. Maybe that has to do with his, his health, which he and his office have been radio silent about. But that's another story. If Republicans want to win back the Senate and keep the House, do you think any of them are going to say that their presidential nominee is a crook? They blew it after January 6th. It was clear as day that Trump had orchestrated it put the vice president in danger for his life, 
and then waited three hours to call off the crowd while they were beating the Capitol Police. So now we're in a situation where, thanks to Fox News and the rest of the right-wing media and social media, we are in the most dangerous moment for our democracy, for our, our country, that we have been in since the Civil War. Trump doesn't win next November if this is a two-way race, I don't think. Hillary lost because there was a three-way or four-way race. Jill Stein for the Green Party, Gary Johnson for the Libertarians. Johnson, no doubt, took votes from both Hillary and Trump. Stein only took votes from Hillary, which is why Hillary lost in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania. Biden won because there was no third-party vote. In 2016, Trump won Wisconsin by 22,000 votes, with 47.22% of the vote. Hillary had 46.45%. In 2020, Biden won Wisconsin by 21,000 votes, with 49.45% of the votes. Trump had 48.82%. Now we have, we have this no-labels party, which is threatening to nominate someone like Joe Manchin. Manchin is way behind in West Virginia. He's running for re-election uh, for the Senate in West Virginia, but he's behind the very popular Republican governor who used to be a Democrat. So instead of losing in West Virginia in the Senate race, Manchin may run for president to be a national figure, maybe with John Huntsman as his running mate. Well, that's going to siphon off moderates and conservatives who could not abide Trump, but would rather vote for Manchin than Biden. And you know that's a large group. And if Trump wins, goodbye our democracy. You know, on this podcast, I have been very careful not to use the word fascist when talking about Trump or the Republican Party. I think it slipped once. And that may have been when the Republican National Committee called the January 6th riot, quote, legitimate political discourse. But if Trump wins this coming election, we will have a fascist government. No question about it. I mean, his Justice Department will be headed by someone who makes Jeffrey Clark look like Atticus Finch. Trump has said the White House will take over all federal agencies. The White House. Just imagine what that means and who will stop him. Who's going to be the head of EPA, of energy, homeland security, education, state, defense? There will be no James Mattises in the next administration. He's going to start where he left off with cynical, corrupt, bad people. Now, after the announcement of his indictments, Trump's team compared this to, quote, I'm not kidding, authoritarian regimes like Nazi Germany. If you are type 2 and take metformin, well, check your feet and legs for these two things that I'm going to show you in this video. Now, fascism is one thing. When I say fascist, I'm talking Hungary, Turkey, you know, fascist. Not Nazi Germany, but I'm talking about the end of democracy and deep, deep, deep corruption and perversion of our criminal justice system and lots of cruelty to immigrants 
and to enemies and back to a perversion of our foreign policy. What happens in Ukraine? Well, he still admires Putin. Okay, enough of this. At least we'll have the Supreme Court to keep him honest. And speaking of the court, we have former U.S. Acting Solicitor General Neil Kochel, a great one for a change. Congratulations on Moore v. Harper again. Uh, the North Carolina case, phew. State Supreme Courts can still override state legislatures. Is that on voting and election matters or on just everything? Yeah, on any federal election matter, uh, the Republican Party has invested a lot in the kind of really crazy theory that state courts are totally cut out of federal elections, in part because Donald Trump lost 62 cases, most of them in state courts, yep. in the 2020 election. That could come up in this trial, all the cases he lost. Oh, absolutely, as well as this whole bogus theory that, you know, he could install fake electors through state legislatures and that the state courts and no one else had anything to say about that. It's just absurd. Um, but nonetheless, that is what went up to the Supreme Court, and many people were projecting that we'd lose. I worked super hard to give, I thought, a compelling oral argument um, based really on history, speaking to the conservative originalist methodology, and I was pleased to see the Supreme Court 6-3 to three Six three. in our favor. Yeah. Yay. Uh, congratulations, too, on your new podcast, Courtside, with Neil Katyal, uh, where you discuss famous Supreme Court cases with some noted people, my friend John Mulaney, among others, uh, my friend Rob Reiner. So this is only with comedians. Is that what I understand? No, no, no. No, no, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> As you know, I happen to love comedians, mm -hmm. and, and John Mulaney yes. and Rob Rainey, Reiner both just gave phenomenal episodes. Um, John wanted to talk about Morrison versus Olson, which is basically about how do you prosecute a president or a high-level uh, executive branch wrongdoing crime. So it's really relevant, and he read everything. Well, John, John's dad is a lawyer, and I know he's fascinated with constitutional law. Yeah, that's an understatement. I would say obsessed. I, I get texts from him almost every day now. Did I introduce you to somehow? I, I thought I did. I don't know. You know, everything good in my life in some way revolves around you. Yes. Right after <laughs> Moore versus Harper, that day, you said, my friend John Mulaney is in town. Can you guys get together? And I said, who's John Mulaney? Uh, no, I said oh, absolutely, yeah. um, and so uh, thank you for that. Uh, uh, it's great that that happened. Uh, and Reiner is he does uh, Obergefell, right? Exactly, Reiner is just amazing. With deep heart and so knowledgeable about that specific issue about same-sex marriage equality, he really helps to fight for it. So it's a, it was a remarkably fun discussion with him, and both of those are already up on Courtside, which is. Uh, neilcatiel.substack.com. You know, when uh, that was decided, I wanted to put out a press release congratulating the Supreme Court on its decision legalizing same-sex marriage nationwide. But uh, I called Scalia's dissent, quote, very gay. <laughs> and uh, my team wouldn't let me put that out. Yeah, you have a good team. Yeah, I did. <laughs> so th this is th these are weekly, and uh, you're going to be doing ten this summer or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, I'm almost uh, more than halfway through now. 
I, I want to get, uh, if it's okay, uh, to uh, another interesting case. One that I think people will be talking about for years, if not centuries, and that's U.S. v. Donald J. Trump. And you make the case in a Washington Post op-ed that it should be televised. Why? First of all, I think that this is not just any case. I think this is the most significant legal case in our lifetimes and one of the very most significant in the history of the United States that will be up there with you know, Dred Scott or Brown versus Board of Education is a, a case that really sets out the values of what the American people are about. And, you know, the thing about United States versus Trump, it's, uh, it's a four-count indictment against the former president for using his powers as president. So this isn't like the stolen documents Mar-a-Lago case about what he did after he was president. He's using his powers to launch a coup. Yep. And, um, you know. <laughs> That's serious. Yeah, and not so serious. It is like, you know, it, it is like it's so antithetical to what this. Hi there. Good morning. Guten Morgen. Listening to Legal AF. They don't want you to hear this because they keep shutting off my podcast. Like, you know, like a unicorn is going to show up in my backyard and crap gold bricks. It's sort of Donald Trump's theory about how he's going to be president of the United States. You know, when he says at a rally, well, I hope I get indicted again. One more indictment, this thing will be over. Yeah, it'll be over <laughs> in the Republican primary. But, but he's not generating any new independent or women voters every time he gets a, 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 a judge to be a rapist, sex, I'm sorry, sexual, a sexual abuser, or he is, is convicted of very serious conspiracies against our democracy. Okay, he'll get his 37%. I'll give another five. He'll get his 43%. But you can't win the presidency that way. And all of this stuff, and, uh, and I'll leave this rant on this, that the, that the mainstream media, which, you know, to a certain degree in the investigative report I think the Democrats, does do well, and you and I do. I think do. the Democrats. Just a wide sit on the mic, though. Right, well, I'm pretty sure the Democrats are not uh, pressing too hard to just disqualify him outright because he's going to take, he's going to be sucking all the energy of the Republican Party by being in the race. If he's in the race, he's going to be a... You know, nobody's going to be able to fill that spot because he's going to fight tooth and nail to attack everyone that might pose a threat to his presidency, his return to the presidency. And so the Demo- I think the Democrats are just not doing anything about it because uh, they want they want this you know vacuum. When when he finally gets disqualified <clears throat> and thrown and thrown into fucking prison for the rest of his life, then the Republican cunts will have to find a plan B, unless they're the whole party suspended, which is what I what I'm working towards. Suspend the party, 
And throw in prison all the fucking insurrectionists. That's, uh, those are my, and, and disqualify. Disqualify, that's like, number one. And the electoral college before 2024, abolish that. The stuff that they do add on our own analysis and report when we can. But when they, when they run stories like, well, there's been two other presidential candidates in history that have run from federal prisons. And they start talking about Eugene Krebs, and I'm like, are you effing kidding me? Don't put that out there. That's not real reporting. Yes, under our Constitution, even a convicted felon can be the President of the United States. That's a little quirk of our Constitution. We should fix that, by the way. Um, however, that doesn't mean that at the end of the day, the American people, who I put tremendous amount of trust in, as an, an entire election body, just like I do the jury system, is going to vote for the man. Well, let's now talk about what Donald Trump's lawyers have been saying, what they've been previewing uh, is their defense. I mean, from the just kind of absolutely absurd and comical and frankly incriminating stuff against Donald Trump, like uh, Alina Hava, I mean, she was outside of the arraignment talking about Hunter Biden and uh, she also said everybody knew that he lost the election. Everybody, everybody knew it. So you have Alina Haba, which is, at this point, so deranged that it probably doesn't even, it doesn't even, it's not worthy of a serious legal critique of what she has to say. John Lauro, it's borderline. I'll, I'll give it a serious legal critique because, um, but I, I think he's a very unserious, he's presented himself as a very unserious person. So here are the kind of main things that they've been messaging. In terms of the defenses that they're going to rely on, the Trump legal defense team, you know, I guess led in part by this new lawyer, John Lauro, advice of counsel, which is that Donald Trump relied on John Eastman and Giuliani and other lawyers who told him that this was not a crime. Put a pin in that one for a moment. The other one I talked about is Donald Trump saying he has a free speech right to overthrow our democracy, and the other two kind of ancillary issues they've been messaging is this indictment is a great thing because now we get to conduct discovery and prove the 2020 election was actually stolen. Now we get to go and send, in, you know, and send subpoenas to uh, Brad Raffensperger and prove that he's wrong. You know, that's not going to happen. <laughs> All of these things have been debunked, and of course, the data that Special Counsel Jack Smith's going to turn over is, Trump, here's the research teams that you paid. Your political action arms paid these two research teams, each close to $1 million each, and they told you there was no fraud. How about you subpoena your own people? How about you look at your own yeah. data? So that's the, one, the other thing. We're going to get great discovery. What about no, you're that? not. It's just going to get more incriminating from here on out. And the yeah. other thing they talk about is we're going to try to move this case to West Virginia. We're going to transfer it out of D.C. Absolutely zero chance of Judge Tanya Chutkin granting a venue change motion. Um, the Sixth Amendment of the United States Constitution specifically says that cases are to be tried where the crimes take place. That's, for example, why Special Counsel Jack Smith had to file the case of Donald Trump's willful retention of national events information in the Southern District of Florida. Only in the most extreme of cases where 
you know, someone can't get a fair trial. Like in a situation where the prosecutor gives a press conference and says, we are targeting this person. Like only in that situation, which has not occurred here, would there be a transfer granted. Numerous January 6th insurrectionists, all the way up to one of Donald Trump's co-conspirator terrorists, Stuart Rhodes of the Oath Keepers. He sought to have a venue change before Judge Amit Mehta, citing the exact same things Donald Trump's going to say. Oh, it's a Democratic area. Washington, D.C. votes Democrat. Because the insurrection happened in D.C., he can't get a fair trial. All courts say the voir dire process, the jury selection process, cures any of those issues. Um, and then even the Trump-appointed judge, Judge Carl Nichols, had been presented in the past with venue change motions, and he has uh, rejected those venue change motions with January 6th insurrectionists. And Judge Carl Nichols has made some unfavorable rulings from a law and order perspective in favor of January 6th insurrectionists, but even he didn't transfer the case. So zero chance the case is going to be transferred. When you talk about an advice of counsel defense, Donald Trump would have to take the stand for an advice of counsel defense. He'd have to waive his Fifth Amendment rights because he could, the lawyers for Trump couldn't say, this person will confirm that Donald Trump was taking the advice of his lawyers. This person will say that. That's hearsay. So to get around here, it's inadmissible hearsay. So Donald Trump would have to take the stand and he'd have to say, here is the advice that I took from the lawyers and here's why I was misled by the lawyers or here's what John Eastman told me. And then Trump would open it up for all cross-examination across all issues. He's not going to take the stand. He is a very, very scared person. We'll talk more about that in a bit, just how scared he is backtracking after making this threat and special counsel Jack Smith called him out. So advice of counsel, just that's not going to work. Trump would have to take the stand there. Uh, and then we talked earlier in the episode that it's not a free speech issue to engage in a conspiracy to overthrow our democracy. And we gave you earlier in this episode very specific, concrete examples. But again, go to MidasTouch.com to read the full indictment because, again, we can spend hours talking about it here. But there's very specific, concrete examples of how Donald Trump did this on purpose. He knew what he was doing, trying to change votes from Biden to Trump, trying to change electoral votes um, from Biden to Trump. And that's illegal. You, you can't do that. And as special counsel Jackson says, look, Trump, if you want to say you won and if that makes you feel good and you want to lie to the people, that's upsetting that you would say that. It's it's it should be disqualifying, but you don't you don't that's not the crime. The crime is where you weaponize that and then affirmatively um, affirmatively take action um, right there as well. Um, you know, and, 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 and then we're going to cover this in a little bit as well, but there's been a lot of violence taking place earlier, you know, in the day, Popak, as well. Like, Trump's lawyers are already moving to delay to having to respond to the government's motion for a protective order um, until uh, the 10th of August. Um, they're asking to set the matter for oral argument, trying to get further delay. So we'll talk about that in a bit, but I, I wanted to hit upon the defenses and then kind of, I guess, the Trump strategy. Um, what, what do you think about what they're going to be, what they're, they've been saying? Well, let's, yeah, let me, let me unpack a couple of things. And let me, give it, let me give an example of the difference between speech that's protected that Jack Smith preempts and references as an attack on his indictment and conduct that isn't. Uh, you and I, Ben, and others in our audience, can stand in front of our local bank 
and we can tell anybody that walks by that cares to listen that all the money in that bank belongs to me. Some, some cockamamie story about my grandfather founded the bank and all the bank, all the gold that's in this, that's in all of the safety deposit boxes. <laughs> Minus touch coverage, indictment, Trump indictment 3.0, exclamation But you can do that. What you can't do is get together with your buddies in the Trump middle of the fuck. night and put on ski masks and break into the bank and actually take the money. That's the difference between protected First Amendment speech and criminal conduct that will only get you jail time. That's the difference between what Donald Trump. It's one thing to say, I think I won the election. I don't think I knew that woman that I sexually abused in the, uh, in the uh, dressing room at Bergdorf Goodman, me, June Carroll. It's another thing to do things in conduct that are at variance with the law or judgment. Criminal or intent established. Um, Trump and that's is what Donald ha, Trump ha, is being ha. accused of. And that is a difference. A difference that sounds complicated, I guess, when you're trying to create um, interference and you're trying to mislead people in your talking points, but is really, really clear and easily shown to a jury of, of nine or 12 sitting in the box in Washington, D.C., or in front of a judge like Judge Tanya Chutkin. Alina Hava outside. I don't know why anybody gave that airtime, but let's just say one thing about it. She was reading from a palm card that the Trump campaign and the Trump guy made on the way into the arraignment in which they listed on the left side, all things related to Hunter Biden, trying to time it, and on the right side saying and suggesting that that led to either Attorney General Letitia James bringing her civil case, or Fawny Willis threatening her indictment, or Jack Smith bringing his indictment, and trying to make some causal link between the two that doesn't exist. We call that in the law, and in logical reasoning, post hoc ergo propter hoc, which means in Latin, after this, Therefore, because of this, which is a logical fallacy that just because something follows in time something that preceded it, the thing that preceded it must have caused the thing. The most perfect example of that, the easiest example, the perfect one to talk about it, is in uh, there is there is statistics that murder rates and ice cream sales both go up in the summer. That is true. More people are murdered in the summer, and ice cream sales also go up. They are not related. Ice cream sales is not causing murder rates to rise, just like anything related to Hunter Biden, whatever it is, has nothing to do with the independent prosecutorial decisions by the people that I just listed um, to make their decision to indict under their ethical requirements to, to only indict when they have the evidence and the facts to support it. So let's just coverage. forget the clown show that was Alina Haba. She doesn't belong in a courtroom, and frankly, she made that decision herself. She decided to be on the street with the rest of the circus that was in front of the courtroom. Inside the courtroom, you had Boris Epstein in the back, right? So he's doing his thing, trying to concoct some sort of legal defenses. And unfortunately for Donald Trump, he's decided that, that John Morrow, not Todd Blanche, who's the smarter of the two, in my estimation, is the one that he should put front and center on television. And John Morrow, who is looking for his 15 minutes of fame or to extend it, is, is a willing participant in it. So when John Morrow goes on Fox News and talks about Plan D, which is Plan Delay, apparently, period, looks great in a suit and tie. He's like this week's uh, Joe Tacopina. 
Um, and you know how well that went for him in all things related to the New York indictment and Eugene Carroll. And he said on Fox News, he took a lot of heat for it unintentionally, he said, no, no, yes, Donald Trump wanted to delay the certification of the election because he wanted to give the state legislators more time to just do one more quick pass to make sure everything was on the up and up with the electors. One more quick to which pass. Federal pro former federal prosecutors in their united, Alan Weissman, the former federal prosecutor, said, that's an admission of a crime. That's not a defense. And uh, <laughs> Joyce Vance, a former federal prosecutor, said, that sounds like a coup. In other words, he admitted to the heart of the conspiracy that is at the heart of the you know, three conspiracies that are at the heart of the indictment. That's not a good place to be. And then he doubled down on it and made it worse because he went on television to correct the record because he said he was unfairly attacked by pundits for what he said. He said, all I said is what Donald Trump said or John Eastman wrote in his memo, right? John Eastman is a co-conspirator, Mr. Loro, in the indictment for coming up with these Pocotta ideas of constitutional law and how you could pressure Mike Pence and throw over the election. So don't re you're referring to the memo and the things that Donald Trump said on the ellipse and to which we all say exactly you are once again confirming and only supporting the indictment. You're not providing defenses. I agree with you. We see where they're going. They've been doing this drumbeat. It started with Stephen Chung, the spokesperson for Donald Trump, three weeks ago. Multiple lawyers have promoted this idea, and Donald Trump was just following multiple lawyers. That's not the way the indictment is written. Donald Trump surrounded himself with people that would tell him what he wanted to hear, and he was the ringmaster. He was the puppet master of these, uh, what uh, Mike Pence so properly labeled, crackpot lawyers, Giuliani, Sidney Powell, um, Jetta Ellis, Sean Eastman, Ken Cheeseborough, whereas he had legitimate adults around the table that were appointed to cabinet positions or otherwise, like his acting attorney general, Jeff Rosen, his acting deputy attorney general, Richard Donahue, his White House counsel, Pat, Phil, uh, Pat Cipollone, his, his deputy, Pat Philbin, all the people that were paid and took a constitutional oath, told him the exact opposite, that he surrounded himself with crackpots that would sell him anything and tell him anything is not a defense. And Ben, you're so right. How do you get to that defense if you don't take the stand? And I know he's, he's telling his followers and listeners, I can't wait to testify. He will never testify in any of these cases. They'll come up with some excuse. He'll fly to Scotland to open up another golf course and say, I wish I could have been there, but it was a very important ribbon cutting I had it to. I'll see you at the next one. He's never going to testify. Steve, ba Steve Bannon tried this, this type of reliance on defensive counsel approach. Didn't work because the elements of his crime of obstructing justice or obstructing Congress, the judge at the time, which we've talked about, said, I don't, Judge Nicholson, I don't really see that as an element, but he would have had to testify, as you pointed out, Ben, in order to take advantage of that defense. This is all to try to keep his candidacy afloat, to continue to bring in more money to pay for the attorneys, because this attorney bill for him in all these actions and all the witnesses that he's got to pay off and pay out, 
is going to be $100 million for the end of the year. He's got to continue to grip. All he's told his people, like John Morrow is, keep me in the game. Keep me in the campaign. Keep me in the ability to raise money. Maybe there's a shot in hell that I'll be reelected and I, I'll be elected and I will uh, pardon everybody. Doesn't help him in Georgia. We'll talk about Georgia next. But that's, that's all he's got left. This is a riverboat gambler with nothing to lose, and he's just going to continue to do But we should not misinterpret that on this show or any place else in the Midas Dutch Network where we don't. No one who watches us should misinterpret the things that Donald Trump says, the things that his lawyers or his shills say, as being legitimate, merit-based defenses that get him off of being convicted. They are that's, not. That's why we go through it in a very detailed way. And we go, look, here's what they're saying. Here's why it's not going to work, because here is actually what the law is. And, you know, there's the old expression, right, that if you... If the law is against you, you know, argue the facts, and if the facts are against you, I guess if the law and the facts are against you, Donald Trump, you know, it's kind of what the MAGA Republicans do every day, which is what he's kind of led, is threaten people. Threaten people. Um, I want to show you, this is a post that Donald Trump uh, made on, on Friday. It says, uh, if you go after me, I'm coming after you. You go after me. I'm coming after you, uh, which is a clear threat. There's no other way to interpret that as a clear and present threat. Um, and later Friday evening, special counsel Jack Smith filed a motion for a protective order, informed the judge of that threat about why it's so critical that a protective order in this matter be entered immediately. And in the court's filing, in the filing rather that special counsel Jack Smith made with the court, he explained on page three that the government's proposed order, it's consistent with others that are commonly used. It allows Donald Trump to have prompt and effective use of discovery materials in connection with his defense. All the proposed order seeks to prevent is the improper dissemination or use of discovery materials, including to the public. Such a restriction is particularly important in this case because the defendant, Donald Trump, has previously issued public statements on social media regarding witnesses, judges, attorneys, and others associated with legal matters pending against him. And in recent days regarding this case, the defendant has issued multiple posts, either specifically or by implication, including the following, which the defendant posted just hours ago. And, it, and here, Special Counsel Jack Smith is showing the judge very specifically what Donald Trump uh, said, which, you know, I, I believe to be a violation of what magistrate, uh, what the magistrate judge said during the arraignment, you're not to issue any threats and not and specifically ask Donald Trump, you understand that Mr. Trump, again, not referring to him by any other title, you understand that Mr. Trump, he stated yes. The way I view what special counsel Jack Smith filing that immediately is doing is basically saying, that's your warning strike right there. And we're going to inform Judge Chutkin. But, you know, you may be saying, well, should we put a gag order on him? Should we throw him behind bars right away? I mean, I'd love all of those. But remember, the more he talks, the more he incriminates himself, number one. And number two, I think what Special Counsel Jack Smith wants to balance here is, yes, 
these threats are dangerous. But I think Jack Smith knows what a coward Donald Trump is. Like, he knows that he's dealing with a petulant third grade kind of fascist bully, but he's dealing with, like, just an amateur. And special counsel Jack Smith wants this trial date. He doesn't want to do anything at all, including even if that means temporarily remanding Donald Trump into custody for a short period of time. That could make this case go on a year excursion into briefing about that. Jack Smith laser focused, I want a trial date because I want to send this guy to jail for the rest of his life. Let's focus on what that outcome is. Get him in jail for the rest of his life for his serious, serious crimes. Let's start being a traitor against our country. some pre-trial incarceration. Within a very short period of time, there's been a lot of action on the docket, right? So you have Trump makes that post. Special counsel Jack Smith then files the motion um, for a protective order, and then immediately we last have a night, Donald Trump's spokesperson then issues a statement just for a short, like the ones finding for a short period of time, that could make this case go on a year excursion into briefing about that. Jack into Smith, laser focus, I want a trial date, including even if that means temporarily remanding Donald Trump into custody for a short time. Should we throw him behind bars right away? I mean, I'd love all of those, but remember, the more he talks, the more he incriminates himself, number one. And number two, I think what special counsel Jack Smith wants to balance here is, yes, these threats are dangerous, but I think Jack Smith knows what a coward Donald Trump is. Like, he knows that he's dealing with a petulant third grade kind of fascist bully, but he's dealing with, like, just an amateur. And special counsel Jack Smith wants this trial date. He doesn't want to do anything at all, including even if that means temporarily remanding Donald Trump into custody for a short period of time. That could short period make of time. this case Why not go a long on period of time? a year excursion into briefing about that. Jack Smith, laser focused, I want a trial date because I want to send this guy to jail for the rest. Go to jail. Let's focus on pre-trial. Get him in jail for the rest of his life. Throw him behind bars right away. I mean, I'd love all of those, but remember, the more he talks, the more he incriminates himself. Number one, and number one issues a statement just showing what a coward they are, saying, the post cited is the definition of political speech and was in response to the rhino dishonest special... Come on, Justice Department, let's get this party started. Put Trump in jail pre-trial. Pronto. Traditionally Republican groups. Trump saying that's who he was threatening. Manage to
federal, we've had federal judges and their families assassinated in this country. We've had federal prosecutors and state prosecutors and state judges killed in this country by, by the crazed followers of people like Donald Trump. All right, we saw what happened when he said it'll be wild on Jan 6, and it was, we had an insurrection. And there's a reason that Jack Smith, yes, he's gonna do his job, he's gonna cut his wood, he's gonna eat his Subway sandwiches, and he's gonna put this guy in a federal penitentiary for a long, long time. But he's gotta protect his people from other people being triggered by things like, you yeah. come after me, I come after you. Then some guy go, goes, goes and picks up a weapon and shows up at Jack Smith's house. No, absolutely. And then after Trump issued that statement earlier on Saturday, a minute order was issued on the weekend by Judge Tanya Chutkin, just showing how she wants this case expedited. It is hereby ordered that by 5 p.m. on August 7, 2023, defendants shall file a response to the government's motion for a protective order stating defendant's position on the motion. If defendant disagrees with any portion of the government's proposed protective order, his response shall include a revised version of that protective order with any modifications in the red line and then within hours after that earlier this morning trump filed a motion to revise the briefing schedule and set oral argument this is called trump arrested indicted arraigned and losing his minds legal af regarding the government's motion for a protective order um, and they're asking uh, an additional three days for their response by uh, august 10th of 20 uh, august 10th of 2023 they want to respond and uh, have an oral argument on the briefing schedule already seeing that they want to kind of seek a delay from what judge, judge Tanya Chutkin did but you know and what this motion that was just filed by Donald Trump's lawyers are, are saying is look we were meeting and conferring about a schedule um, and you know we were talking about the protective order um, and then all of a sudden the government just filed this thing out of nowhere you know and obviously not addressing the fact that yeah the government filed it because donald trump just issued a threat and they're saying if you go after me i'm coming after you so it wasn't exactly a good faith meet and confer process where your client is now engaged in criminal threats and so that's kind of the status right now where we're at we'll see what judge tanya chutkin does with that uh, motion um, as well, but that's basically the status. Popak, I think that brings I, I don't us think she charged, but I it, it, it does. I, but just to round it up, uh, I be, not, this, is, this ain't Eileen Cannon. I don't think Judge Chutkin is going to give him from Monday to Thursday. I don't think she's going to give them oral argument. I think she's going to make a ruling. She gave a very, this is her opportunity, I think, to put them in their place because if you give them a finger, they'll take a republic. And, I'm, and I, I have to think in the back of her mind, she's thinking, if they're going to keep trying to nickel and dime me on, I said Monday as a federal judge, I've been doing this for 32 years in front of federal judges. I have never not complied, no matter how short of a turnaround time I thought the order was, the, mo the, the order for me to do something, I never asked for more time. And then asked, maybe oral argument, I've occasionally asked for oral argument. But to say, no, Monday doesn't work for us, Judge. Hold on. Uh -huh. Let me check my calendar. How about Thursday? Thursday's good for me. What about you? I think she, I think she cuts the legs out from under him and says, I don't know. 
what part of my minute order didn't you follow? Monday, if you got a problem, give me a red line, and then I'll make the decision on the protective order. I'm not sure I need a hearing. We'll see. It'll be very interesting. I think the next move, obviously, is the woman in the black robe, and I, I think she's going to say, I'm the judge. You're not. This is what we're doing. Now let's turn to Fulton County, Georgia, uh, if you will. I think we've rounded out our coverage on all things arrest, indictment, arraignment, the judges, and now our attention only turns slightly because, you know, we could, we're going to cover everything at, at the same time. Um, but, you know, our, our, our attention turns to Georgia, specifically Fulton County. Um, you've had the grand jury now impaneled for a few weeks. They've been presented with evidence. Um, we've seen barricades going up around the courthouse. We've heard from the Fulton County Sheriff um, that uh, he's ready for an indictment. And, you know, he's also stated, the sheriff's stated that Donald Trump is not only just going to be uh, booked, he's going to be fingerprinted, there will be a mugshot taken. Um, and uh, the sheriff made, Pat Labatt made uh, also comments, you know, look, we, we don't, we, we, we don't appreciate keyboard warriors threatening law enforcement here in uh, Fulton County, Georgia. He made a statement to that effect. Um, Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis, she stated that she's ready to go. She's in an interview. She didn't you know, provide any more specifics other than that she's prepared um, uh, and, and will have made a decision prior to September 1st. But Popak, this could happen this week, it could happen next week, uh, but I'll just say this before tossing it to you. You go back and look at the Midas Touch Network, and specifically our legal AF shows, I would say maybe within about a few days, or in some instances a one-week difference, I think we've accurately called when all of these things were going to happen with a great degree of confidence that they would happen. You and I both put our, we knew when we did this, we were putting our professional reputations on the line because if we were wrong, a lot of people were going to say, hey, you, you guys have just been selling us hopium for the past whatever. Um, and, you know, what we were just saying is, here's what the data is. We're not trying to push some narratives because they're exciting or interesting. You know, the same way that if there was truly damaging evidence on President Biden, if 17 audio recordings were real, if the whistleblowers were real, if there was actual data, I would not be here saying, you know, this is a deep state House of Representative Jim Jordan conspiracy. I would say that's that's a bad piece of evidence. That's a bad piece of data. But when you listen to Jim Comer or James Comer and Jim Jordan, and they're interviewed and they're saying, hey, do you have any evidence on President Biden? And they go, well, I hope so. Uh, there's a lot of smoke. Yeah, that's that's not what our system is. We're on an evidence fact based system. And if you're watching Legal AF, you're here because we care about facts and data. But Popak, you think we're going to see this indictment this week? <laughs> you think we're going to see it next week? I mean, look, we're going to see it in the next two or three weeks. That's yeah. for sure. Uh, but it could happen at any moment now. Huh? Yeah. And, uh, and to continue with one of your themes there um, about smoke, on this network and on this show, uh, we don't start the fire. We're like the arsonist 
reconstruction, arson reconstructionists, forensic examiners, who come in after and try to explain to you what the accelerant was, how the fire was started, what lit the fuse. But we don't create the stories. We don't, we're not creating it in order to get ratings. You and I didn't found the show based on, hey, let's, let's pump up some crazy stories and see if they'll stick. I mean, are you, we are practicing lawyers. I do have a professional reputation. You do too, that I want to be as accurate and precise as I possibly can. Are we always right? No, because we're not in control of the case. We're reporting on it. We're not inside the beehive. We're reporting on it from outside with our best analysis based on years of experience. But as I joke on, on my social media, we're legal AF, we're almost never wrong podcast because we are almost never wrong. And that comes from hard work and from experience and from gut and from and from years of doing what we're watching others do and being able to report on it in a fair way without blowing smoke or sunshine. Now, having said that, there is there is one other development. Oh, let me answer your question, then I'll give you the, the last development in Fulton County that's important. Um, she's got, uh, Fawny Willis, Fulton County DA, has now three full weeks of an indicting grand jury that she's been presenting evidence to, which stands on the shoulders of year, uh, a year and a half investigation and seven months of a special purpose grand jury, which was her um, investigatory assisting grand jury, not her indicting grand jury, to develop 75 witnesses' testimony and all that evidence. So that's why things are going to go more rapidly, even though there was a gap between March and the time she started her actual regular indictment process. Once she's in there, she's she's done. As she said in an in a interview to a local uh, news channel while she was handing out school supplies and backpacks at a discount for, for, for returning children, she said, I'm ready. We're done. The work is done. We're ready to go. I owe it to the people of Fulton County. I owe it to the people of America. These are hard decisions. People aren't going to be happy about them, meaning Trumpers um, and, and the others on the other side of the aisle. And that's why we saw video feed of barricades being put up in Fulton County. Um, I think it's either it's, it's either this week or later next week, and then it'll be unsealed sometime in early September. And she's got the rest of the Fulton County administrative and the sheriff uh, uh, batty and all that ready because she's told people work from home the whole end of August, beginning of September. She's told and asked that the administrators of all the other office buildings that are governmental down there because the state house sits across from the da's office which sits across from the courthouse in a triangle in fulton county in atlanta i know because i go in that area quite uh, quite regularly and so that could be a ground zero and she's worried about that powder keg and so she's trying to de-escalate it by having less people there they were putting up, I imagine, barriers while you and I and Michael Cohen were doing the arraignment live coverage on the Midas Touch Network. We went to a live feed of them doing that because I guess she was also fearful that maybe this would be an area where they would attack um, his supporters, Trump supporters, uh, to pay back for what was happening in Washington, D.C., and she wanted to be ready. I happen to be leaving tomorrow morning to go to Atlanta, where I will be for the next three days, and I have promised Midas Touch, others, you, that if something happens, like an indictment, I will hightail it down there, and I will do some sort of live reporting from at least the outside of the courtroom and the courthouse about that indictment. I think it's late next week, early the following week, 
but spoiler alert, it is coming. He will be indicted, and I think that indictment will be a much broader, more sprawling indictment with multiple people, because I think under Georgia law, she really has one shot at this. She's going to get it right. One last bit of reporting, Ben. We had a uh, recent development. We know earlier in the week, Judge McBurney, um, at the end of July, denied, denied, denied the three things that Donald Trump was looking for. He was looking to have Fawny Willis disqualified for the second time, and Judge McBurney said, no way. I don't see any misconduct on her behalf. Um, she's just doing what any elected prosecutor would do. And so that's out. I want he Donald Trump wanted to have the special purpose grand jury's body of work for seven months thrown out to make her start all over again at the grand jury level. And and uh, McBurney said, you don't even have standing to be making that argument because you're not even indicted yet. Maybe one day, or as Judge McBurney so eloquently put it, perhaps you'll be indicted, perhaps, perhaps, but not today. And just as you made a mistake and you got slapped back, and so did Judge Cannon in having trying to interfere in the federal criminal prosecution after Mar-a-Lago search warrant was executed last August, hard to believe it was a year ago, you're not allowed, you don't have standing to interfere with a criminal indictment, pre-indictment. You're not indicted yet. Come back. When, when and if you are indicted, Mr. Trump, you may bring up all of these issues about you don't like the prosecutor, you don't like the color of my tie, you think that the special purpose grand jury's work is unconstitutional and shouldn't be used. You can do all of that in front of a judge. It won't be me. In front of a judge randomly assigned in federal court or state court to this case. And you can take it up then, take it up with those people. So based on that ruling, which the Trump people have been waiting for since March, but came out just July the 31st, Trump dismissed a second petition that he had filed in Fulton County trying to, once again, for the third time, disqualify Bonnie Willis, disqualify McBurney, who already ruled, and to get rid of the special purpose grand jury body of work. That petition, which is identical to what McBurney basically just ruled upon, except it didn't include him, McBurney, being disqualified at all, was reassigned to another county, another circuit court in Georgia by the chief judge of uh, Fulton County because he didn't want the situation where McBurney was going to be judged by other people, uh, his colleagues in Fulton County. So it was sent down to the uh, another judicial district, including, I think, Cobb County, to be ruled on. It had already been assigned to a judge, but they hadn't do, done anything yet. Seeing the writing on the wall, just uh, yesterday, Donald Trump's team voluntarily dismissed a petition telling the world that we'll take this up with the appellate court based on what McBurney just ruled. And there's two ways they can go now. I'll leave it on this. You, there's two levels of appeal in Georgia appellate courts. There's the court of appeals, which is where most of first level appeals go. And then you get, if you can, you have the grounds, you can get up to the Georgia Supreme Court. There's nine on the Georgia Supreme Court. They're Republican appointed, basically. And there's 15 on the Court of Appeals, and they hear the case three, at three judges at a time. However, because there's probably a constitutional attack on this based on uh, the equivalent of the Sixth Amendment rights, I assume that they're going to try a direct appeal to this 
Georgia Supreme Court again, having already lost there two weeks ago, 9-0, when they tried to get this, get rid of Phony Willis, get rid of McBurney, get rid of the special purpose grand jury body of work. So we'll have to follow that closely. But in the meantime, that is not going, there's no injunction, there's no attempt to stop anything. Phony Willis is going to indict in the meantime. And the move by Trump to directly go around all the other courts and go directly to the Georgia Supreme Court a few weeks back, that backfired miserably because not only did the Georgia Supreme Court rule that procedurally the case should not have been filed there, but in the order, the Georgia Supreme Court also addressed the merits and stated that on the merits, Trump would lose as well. So if Trump were to bring these claims before them again in this posture, I think the Georgia Supreme Court has now established their frivolous Trump petition uh, precedent uh, where they would rule against uh, Donald Trump. I've seen so many new members here on our YouTube channel today, and that's so great to see. You know, we, we, we joke here at the Midas Touch Network that it's probably not the greatest business model we have here not to take outside investors. And so right now it's based on all of you know, the memberships and the Patreons. And so um, we appreciate all of the memberships on our YouTube channel that allows the network to grow and expand and bring on more people. And uh, really thanks to, you know, everybody here, we've been able to build out MidasTouch.com, which is the new number one source of pro-democracy news. That's MidasTouch.com, M-E-I-D-A-S-T-O-U-C-H.com. Check MidasTouch.com every day. Make it your homepage. We've got some great writers there, and it is a complement to what we talk about here on the Midas Touch shows. For example, when we talk about the indictment, go search the Midas Touch website, MidasTouch.com, and read the indictment. Follow along with us as we go through these documents. That's MidasTouch.com. Thank you, everybody, for being a... There it is right there. Thanks, everyone, who's become a member, who's gifted other people memberships. We greatly appreciate Appreciate it. Check out store.midastouch.com. We've got the new legal AF gear, and it is incredible. Popak and Karen Friedman-Agnifilo spent a lot of time designing the new Legal AF gear. There you see it right there. Get your Legal AF gear right now at store.midastouch.com. 100% union made. 100% made in the USA. There it is right there. Look at that. That is some fly gear right there. Store.MidasTouch.com gear up now. Make sure you're subscribed on our YouTube channel. I think we'll hit 1.5 million subscribers by this month. And then we're going to be on our way to try to hit 2 million subscribers in 2023. That would be great indeed. And so spread the message, spread the word um, about this show. You know, just let one person, two people, three people, five people, ten people know about this pro-democracy show. Let them know about the Legal AF community and let them know, um, you know, what it is that we do here. That, that's, that's one of the best ways you can help us out no matter what. And I just want to say it's such an honor to be here each and every weekend and each and every day with this incredible pro-democracy community, the Legal AFers, the Midas Mighty. Y'all are just the best. And I'm just so grateful to be a part of this with you. you know, I was always looking for a community of compassionate 
intelligent, like real patriots, people who, it's not just performative with the Constitution, it's like people whose conduct each and every day is to support and defend our Constitution um, and to support our democracy and just thank you all, Legal AFers, for organically creating this community that Michael Popak, myself, and all of our contributors are a part of. Thank you so much. A historic week indeed, and it was an honor to spend this historic week with you. Nowhere else I and Michael Popak would rather be. We'll see you next time on Legal AF. Shout out to the Midas Mighty. today, you know, for a change. Neil Katyal is our guest, and he's going to talk about, you guessed it, the indictments against Donald Trump for trying to overturn the 2020 election. Trump seems guilty to me, but I'm not a lawyer. I played one in the sketch, as you know. But Neil is one of the great litigators in our nation. He has won more cases before the Supreme Court than any minority lawyer in the history of the country. Neil is of Indian, uh, subcontinent, India heritage. And I've done some research because I'm Jewish and we are a minority. And so far, I have not found a Jew that's won more cases uh, before the court than Neil. I looked up Lawrence Tribe, who's won a lot, but as I remember, Neil has now lapped him. But before we get to Neil, I, I just want to voice uh, my deep concern about where we are right now as as a country, despite all these indictments, and there's obviously uh, new ones coming from Georgia soon, Trump enjoys the largest lead in any contested nomination race that I've ever seen. And 70% of Republicans who say they'll vote in, in the primaries believe that Trump won the election. Grubhub Plus members save more on the food they love with new cost-saving member benefits plus delivery fees on believe that Trump won the election. Thank you, Adam Schiff, for This is an unprecedented time. Barry Goldwater famously went over to the White House in 1973 and told Richard Nixon that if he were impeached by the House, that he and other Republican senators would vote to convict. So. Nixon resigned. After January 6th, the House impeached Trump. Only seven Republicans in the Senate voted for conviction, along with all the Democrats, falling well short of the 67 needed. Immediately after that vote, Mitch McConnell, who voted for acquittal, spoke on the floor and said the following, and I'm not going to do my my Mitch. This is the real audio. There's no question. None. That President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. No question about it. But then McConnell made some bogus argument about not being able to impeach and convict someone who had left office, which Trump had, because McConnell had delayed the impeachment trial until after January 20th. Now, if McConnell had held the impeachment in time and they'd voted to convict Trump, then Trump would no longer 
have been eligible to run for public office, and we wouldn't be in the very dangerous situation we find ourselves today. Okay, so, after Mitch explains why he didn't vote to convict, he says this. We have a criminal justice system in this country. We have civil litigation. And former presidents are not immune from being accountable by either one. Yep, we have a criminal justice system in this country. And yesterday, I'm, I'm taping this in my conversation with Neil on Friday afternoon, the day after Trump was arraigned. McConnell was right. We do have a criminal justice system in this country, and you will notice that McConnell has said absolutely nothing about these indictments. Maybe that has to do with his, his health, which he and his office have been radio silent about, but that's another story. If Republicans want to win back the Senate and keep the House, do you think any of them are going to say that their presidential nominee is a crook? They blew it after January 6th. It was clear as day that Trump had orchestrated it, put the vice president in danger for his life, and then waited three hours to call off the crowd while they were beating the Capitol Police. So now we're in a situation where, thanks to Fox News and the rest of the right-wing media and social media, we are in the most dangerous moment for our democracy, for our, our country, that we have been in since the Civil War. Trump doesn't win next November if this is a two-way race, I don't think. Hillary lost because there was a three-way or four-way race. Jill Stein for the Green Party, Gary Johnson for the Libertarians. Johnson no doubt took votes from both Hillary and Trump. Stein only took votes from Hillary which is why Hillary lost in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania. Biden won because there was no third-party vote. In 2016, Trump won Wisconsin by 22,000 votes, with 47.22% of the vote. Hillary had 46.45%. In 2020, Biden won Wisconsin by 21,000 votes. With 49.45% of the votes, Trump had 48.82%. Now we have, we have this no-labels party, which is threatening to nominate someone like Joe Manchin. Manchin is way behind in West Virginia. He's running for re-election uh, for the Senate in West Virginia, but he's behind the very popular Republican governor, who used to be a Democrat. So instead of losing in West Virginia in the Senate race, Manchin may run for president to be a national figure, maybe with John Huntsman as his running mate. Well, that's going to siphon off moderates and conservatives who could not abide Trump, but would rather vote for Manchin than Biden. And you know that's a large group. And if Trump wins, goodbye our democracy. You know, on this podcast... I have been very careful not to use the word fascist when talking about Trump or the Republican Party. I think it slipped once. And that may have been when the Republican National Committee called the January 6th riot, quote, legitimate political discourse. But if Trump wins this coming election, we will have a fascist government. No question about it. I mean, his Justice Department will be headed by someone 
who makes Jeffrey Clark look like Atticus Finch. Trump has said the White House will take over all federal agencies. The White House. Just imagine what that means and who will stop them. Who's going to be the head of EPA, of energy, homeland security, education, state, defense? There will be no James Mattises in the next administration. He's going to start where he left off with cynical, corrupt, bad people. Now, after the announcement of his indictments, Trump's team compared this to, quote, I'm not kidding, authoritarian regimes like Nazi Germany. If you are type 2 and take metformin, well, check your feet and legs for these two things that I'm going to show you in this video. Now, fascism is one thing. When I say fascist, I'm talking Hungary, Turkey, you know, fascist. Not Nazi Germany, but I'm talking about the end of democracy and deep, deep, deep corruption and perversion of our criminal justice system and lots of cruelty to immigrants and to enemies and back to a perversion of our foreign policy. What happens in Ukraine? Well, he still admires Putin. Okay, enough of this. At least we'll have the Supreme Court to keep him honest. And speaking of the court, we have former U.S. Acting Solicitor General Neil Kochel, a great one for a change. Congratulations on Moore v. Harper again. Uh, the North Carolina case, phew, state Supreme Courts can still override state legislatures. Is that on voting and election matters or on just everything? Yeah, on any federal election matter, uh, the Republican Party has invested a lot in the kind of really crazy theory that state courts are totally cut out of federal elections, in part because Donald Trump lost 62 cases, most of them in state courts, yep. in the 2020 election. That could come up in this trial, all the cases he lost. Oh, absolutely, as well as this whole bogus theory that, you know, he could install fake electors through state legislatures and that the state courts and no one else had anything to say about that. It's just absurd. Um, but nonetheless, that is what went up to the Supreme Court, and many people were projecting that we'd lose. I worked super hard to give, I thought, a compelling oral argument um, based really on history, speaking to the conservative originalist methodology, and I was pleased to see the Supreme Court six to three, six three. in our favor. Yeah. Yay. Uh, congratulations, too, on your new podcast, Courtside, Neil Katyal, uh, where you discuss famous Supreme Court cases with some noted people, my friend John Mulaney, among others, uh, my friend Rob Reiner. So this is only with comedians. Is that what I understand? No, no, no. No, no, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> As you know, I happen to love comedians, mm -hmm. and, and John Mulaney yes. and Rob Reiner both just gave phenomenal episodes. Um, John wanted to talk about Morrison versus Olson, which is basically about how do you prosecute a president or a high-level uh, executive branch wrongdoing crime, so it's really relevant, and he read everything. Well, John, John's dad is a lawyer, and I know he's fascinated with constitutional law, 
Yeah, that's an understatement. I would say obsessed. I, I get texts from him almost every day now. Did I introduce you to somehow? I, I thought I did. I don't you know. You know, everything good in my life in some way revolves around you. Yes, right after <laughs> Moore versus Harper that day, you said, my friend John Mulaney's in town. Can you guys get together? And I said, who's John Mulaney? Uh, no, I said oh, yeah. absolutely, um, and so uh, thank you for that. Uh, I'm, uh, it's great that that happened. Uh, and Reiner is he does uh, Obergefell, right? Exactly. Reiner is just amazing. With deep heart and so knowledgeable about that specific issue about same-sex marriage equality, he really helps to fight for it. So it's a, it was a remarkably fun discussion with him, and both of those are already up on courtside, which is. Uh, neilcatiel.substack.com. You know, when uh, that was decided, I wanted to put out a press release congratulating the Supreme Court on its decision legalizing same-sex marriage nationwide. But uh, I called Scalia's dissent, quote, very gay. <laughs> and uh, my team wouldn't let me put that out. Yeah, you have a good team. Yeah, I did. <laughs> so this, this is these are weekly, and uh, you're going to be doing ten this summer or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, I'm almost uh, more than halfway through now. I I want to get uh, if it's okay uh, to uh, another interesting case, one that I think people will be talking about for years, if not centuries, and that's U.S. v. Donald J. Trump. And you make the case in a Washington Post op-ed that it should be televised. Why? First of all, I think that this is not just any case. I think this is the most significant legal case in our lifetimes and one of the very most significant in the history of the United States. It yep. will be up there yep. with, you know, Dred Scott or Brown versus Board of Education as a, a case that really sets out the values of what the American people are about. And, you know, the thing about United States versus Trump, it's, uh, it's a four-count indictment against the former president for using his powers as president. So this isn't like the stolen documents, Mar-a-Lago case about what he did after he was president. He's using his powers to launch a coup. Yep. And, um, you know. <laughs> That's serious. Yeah, it's not so serious. It is like, you know, it, it is like so antithetical to what this 